a lot of people I know think you're getting food to a food bank on paper. That's a good thing. And that is a good thing. It's very necessary. There are 35 million people who need to go to a food bank to feed themselves and their families. But then we need to ask ourselves, should 35 million people need to go to a food bank to mm. feed themselves and their families? Mm -hmm. And the answer is resoundingly no. Hello. Hello. Welcome to At Home. This is a place where we explore all the nooks and crannies of what makes us feel at home. The good, the meh, and the messy. We've been together over 10 years and we still have a lot to learn about each other. <laughs> I've been with myself for a long time and I still haven't figured myself out. It's a process. Well, there will be heated debates. Yeah, because Drew has very strong opinions mm -hmm. about everything, like leaving the toilet lit up. Well, hey, we'll just bring in experts to help us solve those. What about you, though, leaving hair dolls in the shower? Ew. Uh, those are gifts. <laughs> yeah, that no one wants. This is all a part of our life at home. We always seem to talk about food, and I want to talk a little more about food right now. Food is life. Life is food. And I am so stuffed. We literally just finished our traditional Scottish Rabbi Burns dinner. Yes. And we were full of mashed potatoes, haggis, lots of bread, desserts. I had to change almost immediately after dinner because I just could not. I was going to explode. Linda just tooted. <laughs> Am I not supposed to tell everyone that? We've been together, I think, 11 years. I have never heard her toot. I can't believe you've never heard me toot. You're I so appreciate. Cute. You're so cute when you say toot. I appreciate that I haven't. And please continue that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all good. <laughs> there was just oh, no more room man. to hold anything. No, seriously. I, I look, blame I it look on like the... I'm pregnant. <laughs> like I'm so bloated and full, but it was a delicious meal. And uh, it, it is a Scottish tradition to celebrate the poet uh, and songwriter Robbie Burns. He did Auld Lang Syne, My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Jonathan played the bagpipes. Mm -hmm. My dad did the Selkirk Grace. Um, I did, you know, an ode to the bard, Robbie Burns. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it was so much fun. It was so much fun and the food was amazing and mom has been prepping this dinner for like two weeks. Oh my gosh. My mom goes hardcore and it's, she's super serious with it. Like she and has a whole plan. all worth it. It and was. lovely. She does it by herself too. Like she doesn't like yeah. people to come into the kitchen and help her cook. We had 13 of us. My mom cooked for all of us on her own. And uh, so Linda set the table and then I helped run some of the food and stuff like that. But it's a whole family affair. But actually, food is very relevant for this week. I mean, food is relevant for all weeks. I feel like we're talking about food a lot more lately. Is we it do. Is it because of my cravings? Are we you, just we just did um, a vlog on the YouTubes. Yeah, if you actually check out our YouTube channel for at home, youtube.com slash at home, we'll have a link in the show notes. And uh, someone asked if I had any food cravings. What, do you, what, what did you I say today? at that time? I, I feel like it's different every day. So you were saying plain, like plain pasta and butter? Yeah. Whereas Linda usually likes a lot of different flavors and things like that, but are you? How are you feeling right now? Well, I can't think about food right now, really, because like cravings, because I'm so full. Your shortbread but, dipped in chocolate was delicious, by yeah, the way. With some like sea salt flakes on top. That was yummy. I didn't think they would turn out. Right now, I'm craving like just a chai latte. Oh, want me to make you one? 
You're going to make me one? I have no idea I, how to do I it. I can't have a lot because of the caffeine. Anyway. Good point. But a, a meal like tonight does give us a nice reminder that every day we're grateful to have amazing food on our plates so and grateful. access to food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all know that not everybody has the same access and food insecurity and food waste is a huge problem. And the pandemic just made all of that a lot more obvious. Well, as you guys all know, a part of our podcast is our journey to learn how to be better versions of ourselves, building healthy relationships with each other and the planet. And you know that we love to showcase and celebrate makers, especially change makers. And today we are super excited to have an amazing change maker with us. Mm -hmm. I was so excited to speak with him. And by the end of our chat, I just thought like, wow, he's so cool. Well, he's also a twin. We know that's cool. That's really cool. Um, (laughs) Ben Collier, he's a recent graduate of Brown University and he majored in applied mathematics. He's the co-founder of the FarmLink Project. It's a nonprofit. He started with his twin brother and a few friends in the middle of the pandemic back in March of 2020. Gosh, that seems like so long ago, but also like yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when their college campus closed, I mean, everyone was reading the news and they just saw a lot of long lineups at food banks. So they started an organization called the FarmLink Project to help fight food insecurity. And what they do is they repurpose surplus produce because billions of pounds of produce go to waste all the time. And at the same time, millions of Americans go hungry. So I love that Ben and his team of hundreds of college students all across the country you know, they've been sourcing all of this produce via the Farmling Project, and then they're working with farmers and distributors, and they're connecting it with communities in need. So without further ado, this is our changemaker, Ben Collier. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. <laughs> my security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. First off, let's just put this out there so that everyone's aware. Ben's a twin. His brother, Will. Twins are awesome. I just have to make sure everyone's aware of this. Right. I I didn't think that you thought twins were awesome. No, I definitely do. (laughs) I want to make sure everyone knows. Now we can move forward with the conversation. (laughs) Um, take that twins are awesome. Yeah, it's it's important for the world to know. And anytime triplets come around, like that, them fighting words, they're trying to steal our glory as twins. And they no? do. And they do. <laughs> I know Ben's dad. I've known him for years. Uh, Charlie is a uh, he's the CEO of Fox Entertainment, and we've we just sort of passed at whether it's the Emmys or wherever it might be. We always sort of just connect. And we were out for dinner um, a few weeks ago, and he was talking about Ben and Will, his sons who had started FarmLink and its initiative. And right away, Linda and I were like, okay, we need to dig in. We need to learn more because it's sort of almost like 
as as we're we're talking and your your dad was talking about your story, it was almost like reminding me of yeah, Jonathan and me. It was funny because Drew was telling me the story about what you guys do, Ben. And I was like, so they're like mini Drew and Jonathan's? Or like it just reminded me of like all the things that you guys would say you did when you were younger. Yeah, we were young, we were curious, we were driven, we wanted to do something that made a difference. And then we hear what you were doing and it's a massive difference. So we want to start there by first off, just introducing yourself, what you do, tell us about FarmLink. Sure. Go. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Ben. I'm a founding member of the FarmLink project alongside my brother and a couple other really close colleagues. Uh, and yeah, we started the FarmLink project last April in the, the heat of the pandemic. I was a junior in college. My brother was a senior and we had noticed article after article about major, major stockpiles of surplus existing at the farm level. And at the same time, food bank lines stretching longer than they had in decades. And the initial concept was just, maybe we can connect these two dots. And so uh, we called hundreds of farmers and farmers that we'd read about in articles, farmers that we just found on Google and eventually got connected to the first people who said, yeah, if you get a truckload here, you can take whatever you, you can. This was a farmer, Shea Myers, who had 2 million pounds of onions sitting in a pile on his farm, about a mountain of onions. That are just going to go to waste. With no, nowhere to go. And yeah. he's one of hundreds of farmers dealing with the exact same thing. In, the, in that first week, we moved about 11,000 eggs and about 50,000 pounds of onions. Wow. And that was the start of FarmLink. We, we began to grow just focusing on connecting farms with surplus to food banks and communities in need. Were you out in, like, did you know some of the farmers and you knew of the problem there? Or did you see the lineups at some of the food banks and, and the issue there? What was that very initial moment where you realized something's just not right? James and Aiden, uh, two of our other co-founders, were in LA and actually having conversations with their local food bank where, where they'd volunteered. And at the same time, to be honest, our mom kept sending us articles saying mm. this doesn't make sense. And... I grew up in Connecticut. I am not from an agricultural background. It just took having an open mindset that we were new to a space that has seasoned experts. And we just hope to connect people where we could. This might seem like an obvious answer, but like when you're reading all of these articles, it's very easy, especially nowadays, to you know, feel like bad, feel guilty, and then you know, kind of brush it aside just move and on. not yeah. yeah, just move on. Not that that makes anyone a bad person, but like, what was it that spoke to you so deeply that you guys acted on it? I think that it had never felt more like it felt right to help. Mm. I mean, you look at where we were last April. It was, it was mm -hmm. scary. People were home. People were alone. So many people my age had more time than they'd ever had mm. in their life. And everyone was just starving for something meaningful and, and important. And FarmLink gave that to a lot of the students that were able to join and, and work with us really early on. It, for me, it was a saving grace. I actually was recovering from reconstructive surgery on my foot. I couldn't even walk. And it, it allowed me to focus on something that felt important for, for the first time in a, a long time. That's amazing. How old are you? I am 23. So you're 22 when you started or 21? I was 21. Mm -hmm. I, oh, and you did. Okay. So, oh, wow. <laughs> first off, I just want to say, like, that that alone is just impressive to me. I mean, there's, like Linda said, a lot of people, they want to do good and they, they look for, you know, they look for inspiration. But a lot of times, the busyness of life, you just, we just don't act on things. Yeah, and, it's and, overwhelming. And you found a way, especially in the middle of the pandemic, to found a, found a way to help so many families. And 
And, and what is the process? So when are the, the food banks, are they prepared to cook the food and prep meals? They just needed to have the produce and... That's a great question. So we are connecting major amounts of, of individual types of produce in, in certain instances to food banks. So we're talking a truck of 40,000 pounds of broccoli or mangoes or onions or squash, whatever it may be. And you get 40,000 pounds of anything. It's usually coming in pretty bulk quantities. Uh, most common, you might get a 50-pound bag of onions. And so it, there are a few steps between putting that food on a truck and, and handing it out to people who can really make the most of that food. So what we do is hopefully connect that food with a food bank that has the capacity to receive many truckloads of different types of food, mix them into smaller boxes or, or into smaller packages with more variety that can then be distributed to uh, ultimately the, the final recipients of that produce. Oh, that, that makes sense. Yeah, to have that extra point of distribution or, or somebody who can handle that, that mass load. I was curious about that because it... At first, I was thinking, is it creating another job that they might not have there? And then there's another hiccup in the chain to actually get this to the people who need it. But, I mean, you thought through that as well. (laughs) It's definitely something we've thought about. I mean, we are not a food bank. We're not a distributor. What we're hoping to do is connect two industries that we don't think were as connected as they could have or or should have been for a long time, which is the farm and distributor level and and, and the food bank. But we believe Mm -hmm. that there's a lot we can do to improve the ultimate distribution of of that food as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, A big part of our conversation at FarmLink is around what the actual issue is we're working to address. I think to put it into perspective, a lot of people I know think you're getting food to a food bank. That's on paper, that's a good thing. And that is a good thing. It's very necessary. There are 35 million people who need to go to a food bank to feed themselves and their families. But then we need to ask ourselves, should 35 million people need to go to a food bank to Mm. feed themselves and their families? Mm -hmm. And the answer is resoundingly no. And so while currently we are operating within and and working to support a model where we can provide as much access to fresh produce at the food bank level as possible, ultimately we want to get to the point where we can be working with communities to consider how can this food be distributed in a way that is more dignified and more equitable and provides more choice and and control to the ultimately to the people who are receiving that food. In my mind, society should be, um, food should be free for everybody, period. Base level food for everybody. And there is a way that that could be done. I don't personally know all the back end workings of, of how systems are built that are currently in place. But to me, if we want some fancy food at a restaurant or junk food or whatever else it is, okay, then you pay a bit of a premium for that, whatever that might be. But the base level of nutrients, healthy nutri- nutrition for, for families should be free and it shouldn't just come down to a food bank to be that resort for that. I completely agree. And I think we have to accept that that's not necessarily an option right now. That's mm-hmm. not yeah. it's not in the cards for, for our country um, currently. And while we do hope to be involved in policy advocacy and and really amplify the young voice that is FarmLink, we also have to accept that if we're going to get to a point where everyone has that access, it might be up to us to to understand where we can improve the space and, and yeah. create a, yeah. a more sustainable food system in that end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what what was your, I guess, collective experience and your experience before FarmLink? What was your experience that lent to making FarmLink a success? I graduated this past May from Brown. Uh, I studied applied math. So they don't have a, an ag track at Brown and it would have been great, especially once we started farming, to spend senior year learning a little bit more about that space. But I, I would say that 
the most important part of success with FarmLink has come from the ability to create a community and to enable people to understand how their work contributes to the overall mission that we're working towards. I don't know if that's necessarily something I learned in a classroom or any of us Mm -hmm. studied in a classroom, but I, I think it's the secret to why we succeeded. I wouldn't even call it a secret. We've had over 500 students work for FarmLink at different points over the last 20 months. And I think that the, the reason people have been drawn to it is because they can see how their work is directly making a difference. And Mm -hmm. especially in a time when everyone was home alone, we were able to create a digital at home community. What regions are you in now? I'm currently in Southern California, but we have members in every time zone and many international people who have either joined FarmLink in the States and since moved elsewhere or joined from other countries. And yeah, there's no barrier to entry when it comes to location. And Mm. one thing we're working towards is lowering the barrier to entry of anyone who can join us at all, um, which is a, a big conversation around the nonprofit space in general is how do you make it accessible Mm-hmm. for everyone to be a part of it, not just those who can afford to donate their time. Yeah, And, and that's something we're trying to do right now is, is fundraise to enable us to pay all of our fellows so that anyone who wants to help us address this issue is in a position to. In my mind, I keep going back to the point you made about students being at home and being alone and you know just needing a purpose or just like needing something to do and something to contribute to. And I think in addition to serving the the farms and the farmers as well as the food banks and the people who needed the food you also served the community of people who were like willing to give their their time and their mm-hmm. hearts to to something meaningful and i think that is so cool mm-hmm. thank you i have said many times that i i didn't expect the community to be such a important or present part of farmlink especially considering I'd never been a part of a digital community where I'd never met someone before and actually felt close to them. Mm. But that's that's what this team has has provided so many people. And I think it's kind of a testimony to where we're heading as, as a species. I'm not sure. Like the fact that you can feel close to someone that you've never met, mm-hmm. you've been brought together by a, a shared passion for what you're working on is, is pretty special. And I don't think it could have necessarily existed six months earlier, 12 months earlier. It all was kind of the perfect storm. I want to kind of back up a little bit before FarmLink. So you, you went to college for math, you're studying math. And what, what was your original plan? What were you wanting to do? My original plan was to go to Brown and study physics simply because I loved physics and then got to Brown and quickly realized I didn't want to be a physicist. So I decided to do applied math, which is basically physics without the commitment. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something where I felt important to people other than myself, which doesn't necessarily defend why I then interned at an investment bank for the next two summers. But once I knew that, that FarmLink was solidifying as a, as a full-time option, and it wasn't really a, a question for me. It was more of a matter of just proving and, and knowing for sure that that would be something that I could do post-grad. Mm-hmm. What was your, so um, you have a twin brother. Um, you yeah. said he was a senior when you were a freshman. Um, so what, What's the dynamic there and, and how have you been there for supporting each other um, since you were kids? Sure. So he is my twin brother. Um, love Will very much. And we actually ended up at Brown together, despite the fact that I never thought we would go to school together. But I had some 
I had some health issues in 10th grade that all worked out where it made sense for me to take a year off and focus on other things after 10th grade, which was pretty unorthodox. But thankfully, my parents saw that I really needed a reset. So that was when my brother and I actually became twins in different grades. I was diagnosed with something called dystonia. It's a neurological condition. It causes the muscles in your different parts of your body to contract. It kind of, that's what affected, it affected my right leg. Mm. And so kind of just looked like I was rolling my ankle a lot. And um, I was a competitive tennis player. The full arc is that in junior year, playing on a kind of compromised structurally foot gave Mm. out and there was no cartilage left between my ankle and my leg. I couldn't fix one thing without fixing everything. So that's how uh, after Christmas in 2019, I had this full reconstructive surgery which led to me being um, on my back and then kind of on my ass for for mm-hmm. most of 2020. What was your mental process at that point? Did that did it really make you look inside and and really consider deeply what's most important to you in life, or what was what was that like? I had a pretty distinct moment where to play a D1 sport, it's not you're not a hero, but it takes up all, your whole life. I mean, I really didn't have the time or space to pursue other extracurriculars that I even might've wanted to. And I had a moment where I was like, I'm about to go into the rest of junior year and senior year. And I have no plan. And then COVID hit and I had even less of a plan. (laughs) So that's what I mean when I say FarmLink was a saving grace for me, where I knew that I had the time and the space and the interest in, in finding something that I was passionate about. And I got really lucky that it happened to be something as important as FarmLink has has turned out to be in in my life and in general. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. Obviously, the, everything you've done here really shows how you are very independent. I'm always fascinated by twins in the sense that, you know, I always pick the brains of twins when I meet them because I know how Johns and I were. We were very independent, but codependent, if that makes sense. We, um, we had different friends. We did some different things, but we also did pretty much everything together um, when, you know, starting businesses or whatever we did. So what was the dynamic like between you and your brother? Did you find that you wanted to do everything together or did you guys have the relationship like some twins where you actually did prefer standing on your own two feet, doing your own things and not always relying on each other? I wish Will were here because I think he'd agree on what I'm about to say. It's hard being a twin, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you especially when you're younger, you share everything. You get told, hey, uh, you know, your friend's parents say, hey, do you want to go play with Ben and Will? Let's go get a a gift for Ben and Will. And (laughs) so I think that the grass is always greener. I love being a twin. And it's something that I wouldn't trade or give up for the world. But you definitely have moments where you think, I wish this was a little more independent or I haven't felt that way in a long time. And I think looking back on when we made that split, it was actually very healthy for us because we got mm-hmm. to finish our childhood, each finding our own, our own sense of independence mm-hmm. and look at where it got us. We came right back to the same school and ended up working on the same projects. And 
it was amazing. I mean, Will's an amazing partner on that front. And within FarmLink, we were able to find a really healthy balance where from the start, the two main tenets of what we we're doing were focusing on uh, sourcing food and connecting with the, the farmer facing side. And then, and that's what I worked on. And then the other side was the uh, creative connecting with media outlets, fundraising, getting our story out there, because that was such a huge catalyst for our growth. But I think we were able to find a really healthy balance where we each had our own, our own specialties. That's great. Curious, Drew, if that's how it works for you. And if you can empathize with some of that sense of yearning for independence. Well, 100%. I think that's the big thing. Jonathan and I love each other and we've literally, we've done everything. We run companies together, but we are very different people. And I, I do know, you know, it's less as an adult, um, as much as it was as a kid, I used to get really frustrated when people would just automatically lump you in like you share one brain and you're, like you're one person. And it was always, um, oh, we're going to hang out with the brothers, but it was never like uh, they just wanted to hang out with one of us. It always had to be both of us <laughs> or, no, or none of us. Um, and yeah, so there were, there were times where I wished for a little bit more independence, but you know, I think we've embraced that as adults too. We still do a lot together, but we do have very much our own lives and what we do. And obviously the people in our lives that like Linda meaning the most to me, um, I think, you know, it just makes sense that you start to grow more of that independence, but he's always there. I mean, I know he'll always have my back if I ever need something. And we did compliment each other very well. We still do in many ways, just like you said, your brother did with the marketing uh, aspect of what FarmLink does. So um, what, what are some other ways, just from what you've learned, whether it is with the farm link or whether it's just in their community and, and farms in their area, what are different ways that you can suggest communities get involved? I think that in order to create systemic change, you can't just create technical improvements to the space. And what I mean by that is you can't, like we understand that transportation is a huge missing component within food rescue. If there was ample transportation that was able to connect farms with food banks, we wouldn't really need to exist. And we're trying to provide that and we're trying to provide that at scale. But if we just provide that, we won't change the food system. We won't change food insecurity. And so I think the other components are policy advocacy, understanding how we can actually change the rules of the spaces in which we operate. And I think that can occur at a national, but very much so at a community level as well. And then the final thing is creating a shift in social perspective about the issues that we're dealing with. And that's what I was touching on earlier when I brought up that we need to look at the issue is that 35 million people are going to a food bank, not that the food banks don't have enough food. Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to create a shift in social perspective, that requires understanding and learning at a community level what the issues are and then what we each can do to be more aware of them. And I, I don't think that everyone is going to have the ability to pick up the phone and call their senator or... Mm -hmm. drive right now to a farm and help deliver a thousand pounds of food to their food bank. But if they understand just a little bit more about how billions of pounds of food are going to waste and there are things we can do about it. And at the same time, millions and millions of people don't have adequate access to food and, and there are things that we can be doing about it. I think that's the start of what I'd hope to see at a community level. You mentioned earlier as well that the phase FarmLink is in now or approaching is that you're having these conversations to address these root issues. What does that look like for FarmLink right now? Like what, what does sure. that involve? It started as small because that's all we had, but it's understanding how can we publish a newsletter that seeks to provide the amazing people we interact with throughout the food chain uh, a story and, and the space to tell theirs. And 
when we have a piece on the news, it's about actually trying to focus that piece towards towards the issues and not just towards the fact that there are a lot of students doing a really good thing right now. As we get into policy advocacy, we're working to write op-eds and actually rally people to have conversations with their, their local and their national representatives. And I'm not sure what it's going to be that's going to help us take that next step forward in, in communicating these issues. We do have some pretty large partnerships, which are good at giving us that national attention. We have a promotion with Chipotle right now that is at a national scale. If you order online at Chipotle, you can round up to FarmLink. And I think that's going on for the next five or six weeks. So it's about, I think, trying to aggregate our ability to communicate this message and then understanding when we have these opportunities, how we're really making the most of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think education is important. I think there are a lot of things that just seem so daunting. It's such a big concern. It's such a big issue that there's a lot of people might feel there's nothing they can do. But I think a little more education and continuing to keep something in, in the, the forefront of people's minds, I think that will help us move towards change and also understanding how we can all work to, to actually create policy change as well. Linda, to your point, there's also, I, I believe, a huge amount of potential in the students that come through FarmLink to go on and create that change. Mm. Maybe it's at large corporations or maybe it's in policy that itself. But mm-hmm. we, if we have the opportunity to provide hundreds of students the access to really understand the food space, to build relationships, to see and have hands-on experiences with, with these issues, they might go on to do things that don't relate to food insecurity whatsoever. But if they eventually have an opportunity where their organization can voice its support, can make a contribution, can actually be involved with addressing these issues, that could be the most positive impact that FarmLink's able, able to achieve. And I think what we hope to do as well is figure out how we can create a system that lasts. Farmers are leaving millions of dollars on the table every single year when they donate to the charitable food space and don't file for the benefits available to them. Mm-hmm. And... There's a few reasons why. I think the main one being that the IRS is kind of just a labyrinth. But we are in a position where we have access to all the information from the farmer and information about all of where this food is going. And we're in a position where we can collect all of that for the farmer and make sure that they're accessing the full value, the benefits available to them. Mm. And it's pretty substantial. I mean, there's one farm that's donated about 180 truckloads of tomatoes since 2019, which is... I think over 7 million pounds of tomatoes. Oh, wow. And we could help them get uh, over a million dollars back that is currently just on the table. That's awesome. And so if we're able to charge a nominal service fee where we don't make money unless you make money, but it's enough to offset the transportation costs, Mm -hmm. suddenly we're talking about a model that can sustain itself. And that's another step towards towards systemic change. That's exciting. Mm, Give us an example uh, right now. So... You know, the number of pounds of food rescued, um, how many communities, um, how many states, where are you at right now with what you've done? It's a good timing for this question. We actually hit our 50 millionth pound of food last week. So um, we've delivered 50 million pounds of food across, you know, rescued from or delivered to 48 states. Hopefully we can get it to 50, but our, our goal is to be able to provide access wherever we can find the need. One of the larger issues with the space is at a national level, there aren't a ton of agencies that are willing to support anybody. And to be isolative, but also to seek a global solution to this issue is is kind of oxymoronic. And Mm. 
So we seek to be able to have the access to food at a scale that allows us to support wherever support is needed and to be able to work with any community that is in a position to be helped by us. As we come out of the pandemic, have you seen now that restaurants are opening back up, has it reduced the amount of food um, that you've been able to have donated or does it just shift to a different setup with more farms? That's a great question. While supply chains are opening up in terms of restaurants, stadiums, theme parks, airports, all of those starting to reopen, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily impact where we're focusing in the sense that FarmLink was founded as what we thought a disaster relief agency. We thought we were responding to need that came as a result of COVID. And we learned really quickly that we weren't. Mm. I mean, these are issues that have persisted for decades. And 20 billion pounds of food goes to waste at a farm level every single year in a non-pandemic year. And so the cause of surplus is actually far less, at a farm level especially, is far less to do with something like COVID or um, restaurants being closed and far more to do with the fact that this is an incredibly consumer-favoring industry where farmers are expected to have perfect produce 365 days a year at whatever cost to them. And for many of these farmers with large contracts, they are far better off having 20% more food and throwing that away than not having enough and risking losing a partner or losing Mm -hmm. a contract. Just to clarify one thing, did you say uh, annually in uh, the U.S. it's 20 billion pounds of food waste? That's at at a farm and distributor level alone. Yeah, I just want to, looking at the numbers of what you're saying there, 20 billion but you've raised, since you started, uh, you've, you've rescued 50 million pounds. 50 million is still a massive, massive chunk of that food waste, which I think is pretty impressive. And, it, and FarmLink is still so young. And you're so young. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, it's something that I and the rest of our team should be incredibly proud of. But yeah. it also is, true. it is a drop in the bucket. I will say of the 20 billion pounds, a lot of it is still in the fields. A lot of it gets lost for various reasons that make it more difficult to rescue. It's not, you know, we're going to scale completely perfectly to 20 billion. Of course. Mm-hmm. But the reality is there's there's so much left. And I think that that's that's a point of, of motivation for us, for sure. It's nice actually thinking that it's only a drop in the bucket right now because that just means the sky's the limit. I, well I, and, I, and I really mean that. And I, I think that What's interesting too is to think how costly it actually is to farmers to lose food where currently if a farmer has a truckload of food and it's already been pulled out of the field, odds are they're going to have to actually pay dump fees on that, which in certain areas can be $80 a ton or up to $2,000 a truckload, depending. And then on top of that, legislation is starting to come into play where in California in January, farms, wholesalers, certain agencies are actually going to get fined pretty heavily for throwing away food that they otherwise had means and lanes to rescue. Hmm. So we're talking about an instance where farmers have to pay dump fees and transportation costs and potentially uh, increased fees for wasting food where they could be making money, the transportation be covered. And more importantly, Mm -hmm. I don't want to paint farmers to be so focused solely on the bottom line. The worst day for some of the farmers I spoke with is the day when the food that they grow has to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. And to know that your food is going to people who need it more than anyone else is a really important thing. And and for someone who's committed their life to to growing and sustaining, growing food and sustaining others, that's that's a a really important component of this Mm -hmm. as well. How has this uh, made you look at your own food differently? 
like every meal you have. I'm definitely more cognizant of that as well. But I think it's just given me an appreciation for the food that I personally have access to. It's definitely become a bigger part of my life. I'll say that. Well, I think that's actually the perfect way to, we'd like to wrap up with a speed round, speed questions, if you're ready. Sure. First question, in line with what you just said, what meal makes you feel most at home and who cooked it? I mean, if it's going to make me feel most at home, it's going to be my mom cooking it. She's an amazing chef. And uh, this is supposed to be a speed round. I'm just going to shout out something. I think if it's going to be her cooking, she's going to make um, a really good beef stew. All right. Best thing your parents taught you? Treat everyone like they're a part of your family. That's great. Uh, what's a memorable growth moment that you have? Moving to LA without having an apartment to move into. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're from the East Coast, Connecticut, right? Stressful. I talked to your dad too. Like, they, you know, he has his place here, and, and you said you still wanted to get your own place and create your own uh, spot, which is kind of great. If I'm going to start a nonprofit and prove that I'm sustaining myself, I got I to gotta be able to. Got to be able to do that. And that's something I definitely take some pride in. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you should be proud of what you've built and what you're doing and how you're doing it. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. And we're inspired by what you do. Keep us posted yeah. on, on As You Grow. And yeah, um, let us know how we can help. Yeah, let us know how we can help. Definitely. We will. Thank you so much. And by the way, we have an amazing team and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell. Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis. West Friend. Chris Cobain. Nicole Schachter. And Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. And our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do. Please do. And also leave comments on our social media at at home we love to hear from you ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (gasps) Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.